Well, I believe we'll be in John chapter number 21 this morning, if you turn with me, in the Word of God. I, I'll be honest with you, I've really struggled where to be. I've had three messages, and uh, I'm always nervous because I want to preach all three of them. But uh, I, I like it when the Lord just takes everything else away except the one message I'm supposed to preach. But every now and then, uh, He doesn't do that. Every now and then, we have to, uh, have to really try to discern what the Lord wants. John chapter number 21, this is my burden, this is my heart, this is what I believe the Lord have us to, uh, to speak on, preach on this morning. This uh, probably is a familiar passage to many of you that are here today, look like uh, many of you probably no doubt church folk, you've been in this thing a while and you're familiar with John chapter 21. As we preach through this, I, I ask you to keep an open mind with me. I've heard a lot of preaching out of this chapter, and uh, some of the things the Lord gave me just uh, just real fresh for me. Maybe you've heard it before, but uh, some of the things that the Lord spoke to my heart out of this chapter is a little different than the ways I've heard it before. So I ask you just keep an open mind with me as we look through the Word of God, and I promise you we'll be true to the text, true to what the Word of God says. John chapter number 21, the Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, and they were not far from the land, but it were... 200 cubits, dragging the net and the fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire and coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. And Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty-three. And for all that were so many, yet not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come asked him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had died, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my, my lambs. He saith unto him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved that he, because he had said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. 
Father, we do thank you for the privilege to be able to be here today. God, we come basking, Lord, thinking about what you've done last night and in the previous days of this meeting. Thank you for your mercy and your great grace in these dark days that we live in. And Lord, we're thankful that in the uncharted waters of the last days that we are living in, Lord, that you're still speaking. God, you're still sending preachers. You're still saving souls. Lord, we thank you for reminding us last night by saving those souls. God, that you're not dead and you're not done. You're still in the saving business. Lord, we're glad that, Lord, you're not out of business. You're not intending on going out of business and nothing will thwart you from your throne. Lord, we thank you today, God, for this privilege, this opportunity. Thank you for this congregation that's gathered here, this good crowd, on a Tuesday morning. And Lord, we praise you, God, for the singing. Lord, I pray now you'd help me as we, we preach. Lord, I pray you'd give us unction and power. Lord, we desire, dear God, that you would hide us behind the cross. Lord, I pray these people would not hear me, but Lord, they'd hear you. I pray, Lord, today, God, that you'd take these lips of clay, use them as your very own, clothe us in the cloak of our calling, and Lord, we'll praise you for all that you do. Help us, God, to be clear, God, in what you put in our heart. God, let the message come forth with clarity, God, that it may be understood. God, I pray, give our hearts ears to hear, and Lord, we praise you, God, for what you've done, and we'll praise you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. As we look into John chapter number 21 this morning, I'm interested primarily in verse number 11. Now, we've got to look at the whole chapter for the most part to really understand what's taking place in verse number 11. But I'm interested in the net that was unbroken. The net that was unbroken. You notice in John chapter number 21 that this is a familiar story. It parallels with Luke chapter number 5 when Jesus came to the Sea of Galilee and there were the sons of Zebedee. There was James and John and Peter was there and they had fished all night and they caught nothing. And, and Jesus told them to launch out into the deep. And, and if you remember the story, Simon Peter, he said, well, Lord, we've fished all night, but nevertheless, at thy word. He just said, well, I might as well try it anyway. Ain't done no good. And, and so he did what the Lord commanded him to do. And there was a great catch that they began to bring in. But when they began to pull in the nets, in Luke chapter number 5, if you remember the story, the nets began to break. But then we come to John chapter number 21, and the story is so familiar. Once again, they are on the Sea of Galilee. The same crowd is gathered together and even a few more. But then in verse number 11, when there is another great catch of fishes, and the Bible even numbers them because the net wasn't broken, it was able to be numbered. And the net that is, is mentioned once again so distinctly, so defined, it's so clear to us that the Lord wanted us to see this picture of the net once again, but it is unbroken. I'm reminded when we look into this chapter and we think about this particular thought, it gives us a picture oftentimes of our lives. We can relate to the Luke chapter number 5 that, that God blesses us and God does great things in our life, but sometimes our net begins to break. Sometimes the blessings come and, and just as soon as they come, it seems like they, they go away. And, and we see that in church. We see that in ministry. Many of you no doubt are seasoned saints of God and you've been on the mountaintops but you've also been down in the valleys of life as well. And you understand that this life is much like that. We go through many mountaintops, but we do go through many valleys. But I say to you, thank God that there is a remedy. And thank God there can be a solution to the net not breaking. I want you to pay attention to this. I believe the Lord really is speaking primarily to Simon Peter, though all the disciples are gleaning from the illustration, from the message that Jesus is teaching here. And when we 
think about it from the lids or from the eyes of Simon Peter. I want you to remember with me who he is and who he used to be and the things that we know about him in the Word of God. We know that Peter, he's that outspoken, type A personality. He's the kind of guy that when God tells him to do something, when Jesus would speak to him, he's the kind of guy that he's going to get it done and it don't matter who he knocks out of the way. It don't matter who he hurts in the process. He just has a one-track mind and he's going to get some things done. And can I say every now and then we do need that kind of personality. We need a drive about us that, that we're going to go do what God told us to do and we're going to be obedient to the will of God and obedient to the Word of God. And it doesn't matter what comes our way. We're going to press through and push forward in the midst of the difficulty and the hardship that comes our way. And Peter, he made many mistakes because of this type of personality though because that type of personality it usually lacks tenderness tenderness to the to the to the finite details of the will of God and I'll be honest with you sometimes I feel like Simon Peter before John chapter number 21 sometimes that's my personality maybe some of you can relate to that as well but Simon Peter he loved the Lord before John chapter number 21 there's no doubt about it he wouldn't have followed him three and a half years and went with him and done what they did if he did not love the Lord but he made mistakes along the way we are reminded at Caesarea Philippi Matthew chapter number 16 Jesus takes them up there to the gates of hell and Jesus says whom do men say that I the son of man am and it's Simon Peter that makes that great confession and says thou art the Christ he makes that great confession that is so profound and that stands out and sticks out to us even to this day and, and at that confession Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God and so I say thank God because of who Jesus is the gates of hell still shall not prevail as a matter of fact just a few days ago we got to visit that place and, and in Jesus's day the temple of Pan was built there and it was a wicked wicked place it was the center of wickedness of that day but I've got news for you the temple of Pan is no longer there uh, the temple of Pan is out of business but we're still having church and so I say thank God that the gates of hell have not prevailed against the church of the living God. But in that text, in, when, when Peter made that famous statement, Thou art the Christ, and Jesus said what he did about the gates of hell not prevailing, just in a few more verses, Simon Peter, he's done got out of the way, he's done messed up, done said something he shouldn't, and Jesus has to say, say, Get thee behind me, Satan. And so we find that Peter's net broke in that particular text. We find other instances in the life of Peter. He could not see the cross as the plan of God. He could not understand in John chapter number 13 that Jesus is going to have to go away. And he says, well, Lord, I'm going to go with you. Whatever it takes, if everybody else denies you, it don't matter, I'm going to go with you. But we know that when they came and arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that it was Simon Peter that is recorded in the Word of God that denied the Lord three times. And the cock crew to prove that what Jesus had said was true and to, to bring the revelation uh, to Peter's mind that he had messed up and he had made a mistake. We find him warming his hands by the enemy's campfire. We find him not even using language that would be of someone that was following Jesus. We find in the Garden of Gethsemane that it's Simon Peter that draws out his sword and he cuts off Malchus, the servant of the high priest's ear. And Jesus picks up that ear and he begins to put it back on. And that ear, there it is. It, it's just as if it never been cut off. Now can you imagine with me how Peter would have failed? What he did in trying to cut off the, the servant of the high priest's head. He didn't, he was not that good with a sword. I mean, he didn't just strategically cut off his ear. His 
aiming for his head and he messed up and so he's done upset because he didn't hit his target he done missed and he didn't kill that fella but then Jesus takes the ear that he did hit and Jesus heals it and so it's like a slap in Simon Peter's face to his personality to his will to his desire and it's hard for him to comprehend here I am trying to fight for my Lord and trying to do something for my Lord and here he is just putting it all back together his net continually broke he had these moments where he stood up and stood out and he done what God wanted him to do but then there were many moments in his life when his net began to break I can say to you there's been many moments in my life and I'm sure in yours that we've stood for the Lord and we've done what's right but then there's those other moments that it seems like our net breaks and we want to do right but there's something that happens to us and something that happens in us and we we don't do what we should do and so today we find that Simon Peter here he is there's a transition in his life when you read about Peter from this point in scripture on you read about him in Acts chapter number 2 and you read about him through the book of Acts and then you read the epistles that he wrote in the New Testament it's a different man than what we see pre-John chapter number 21 and so I'm interested today in what changed in his life Jesus taught him a lesson here in John chapter number 21 on how to hold it all together strength for success how to keep the net from breaking how to go to the next level and how to press on for the glory of God can I say to you today and present to you that we live in in days that I call uncharted waters I mean we're living in the last of the last days as brother Cope preached last night and the days that you and I live in are so strange that's really the only word that I know to describe the days that we live in they're just strange people are doing strange things they strange things that are happening I mean it's just a strange time that we live in and I find that even the seasoned saints of God oftentimes they don't know how to counsel people for this hour because it's such an uncharted time and it's a time that you and I have never experienced there's things going on that's never happened in our generation that's never happened in our day and in our time and so we need some people that are willing to say I'm going to go the extra mile I'm going to go to the next level I'm going to go all the way for Jesus so that I can be tender to the one that knows what's going on and that knows what's going to happen tomorrow I'll be honest with you I wake up every day I, I, sometimes I'm nervous as a, as a cat on a hot tin roof just wondering when my phone's going to ring and there's going to be something crazy that's happened again or somebody's done something that don't even make any sense I, when my phone rings there's almost a, a sense of nervousness that happens sometimes and I'm sure your pastor can relate to that some others in the building maybe can relate to that but it's all part of the times that we live in but I thank God that even though I do not know what is going to happen tomorrow I know the one who has already been in tomorrow he is a God of the past and a God of the present and he is a God of the future and he already knows what's in tomorrow and next week and next month and so if we can get tuned into him and get real close to him he can help us to know how to not mess it up and not make mistakes continually and go on for the glory of God and be a vessel of honor for him and to be a net of strength you see in Luke chapter number 5 when the net broke there were some blessings that were lost but in John chapter number 21 every single fish is accounted for 153 the number is is described to us because there was not one fish that was lost that's the way I want to live my life I want to live my life that every blessing that God wants to give me everything that God wants to do in my life everything God wants to do in my church everything God wants to do in my family I want to be able to retain that I want to be able to, to grab a hold of that I don't want to mess it up 
up. I don't want to push it away. I don't want to reject it. I don't want to turn it down. I want everything that God has in store for me. Because I found 13 years ago when the Lord came to where I was, sitting on the third row back at a little church called Wilmot Baptist Church, I found out that very day when He turned on the light switch in my soul, let me feel the weight of the condemnation of my sin. But in that same moment, also let me see the compassion of a Savior hanging upon an old rugged cross. And in that moment, I knew that if I did not get saved by the grace of God, that in hell I too, as the rich man did, would lift my eyes. But thank God there was a Savior hanging upon a cross so that Austin Frady didn't have to die and go to hell. Thank God there was a Savior whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of my sins. And I'm thankful that since that day I found out that God is good in every way. God's good, ladies and gentlemen, in the morning. He's good in the noontime and He's good in the evening. I'm telling you, there's nothing about God that is not good. His mercy is good and His grace is good. And everything that God does in our lives is for our good and for His glory. There's a lot of things sometimes that I do not understand. I don't understand when God allows us to go through trials. But I do understand that the trials that God allows us to go through are to develop us and to mold us and to make us. And that's all part of the goodness of God so that we'll be stronger and we'll be greater for the cause of Christ. And in the trials we learn more about Him. And there's things that you and I would not know about God if we had not went through what we've went through. And so on the backside, we can look back at what we've been through and we can say God's been good. Even in the darkness of our night, even in the valleys of our life, we can say that God has been good. And so God's been so good thus far. He's not going to quit being good. I want everything that God has for me and for my life because everything that God has for us is good. And so I want to give you a few things things today and I'll get out of the way. I want to give you a few things to help us that Simon Peter is learning from the Lord Jesus Christ to keep us in this place where our net does not break. Simon Peter stood strong on the day of Pentecost. His net did not break. He stood strong through the book of Acts, done great and mighty things when they beat him and thrown him in prison. Ladies and gentlemen, his net did not break. But still yet, even though they told him not to preach Jesus anymore, when he got out of prison, he's just something on the inside of him that he could not contain and he began to keep on preaching Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a different man in the book of Acts than we read about in the Gospels all because he got a hold of some truths in this lesson in John 21. John is the only writer that records this event, but there's some important lessons to tell us from this. Jesus, number one in this text, we find that they're fishing on the Sea of Galilee and in verse number five, Jesus saith unto them, children, have you any meat? And they answer honestly, no. This is a picture of them. They've been fishing. Peter's the one that says, I go fishing. He's the leader. The crowd follows him. Now understand this with me. Let's not cast any stones at Peter this morning. Let's just be honest to the Bible today. When we look at this, many people would say, well, Peter was backslidden. They was backslidden because they went fishing. But in reality, they are where Jesus told them to be. After he met with them in the upper room, he told them to go to Galilee, did he not? and so they go to where he told them to go to. Now they're fishing. They're just doing all that they know to do. Can I say to you, this is, this is the revelation of truth that they had at this moment and they're doing what they know to do. There's some times in your life that you may not know what to do. Can I say to you, when you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do. When you don't know what the will of God is for your life, do what you know is the will of God for your life. Get in your Bible. Get in your prayer closet. Keep on going to church. You may not know what your position or your place
places in the church. Get behind the man of God and pray for the man of God and do what you can. Empty a trash can, sweep a floor, do what you can until God opens up another door and God reveals because this is the way it is. Oftentimes we're trying to find the will of God for our lives, but if we just do what God's already told us to do, the will of God will end up finding our lives oftentimes. If we'll just be faithful to what He's told us, and it may not make sense, and we may not understand it, but if we'll be faithful to the little things, then He'll he'll put us right where we need to be for the very purpose and the climax of our life. You see each person in this tent today, you were you were born for a purpose. You were born to be saved by the grace of God and to go to heaven. But you were also born for service. You were born to do something for the glory of God and to do something for the cause of Christ. And the way that you figure out what that something is, is you just do what you know to do right now. And you let God worry about the rest of it. And He'll put the pieces of the puzzle together. He's the one that's in control. He's the one that knows what we need. He's the one that knows what you were purposed for. Hey, I don't know much of anything. I'm probably the most ignorant person in this tent. But I know that God knows everything. And so if I can just get close to Him, be where He wants me to be, He'll work it all out and use our lives for the glory of God. We find in John chapter number 21, here they are, they're doing what the Lord told them to do in the place of the Lord, or they're in the place where the Lord told them to go, and they've been fishing, and once again they have no meat. And so number one, we have to remember and realize our own deficiency. Jesus points out the fact that they have no meat. He asked them a question that he already knew the answer to. That's the way the Lord works on me sometimes. He'll say, Austin, why are you here? And I'm thinking, Lord, you don't know my heart. Why, why, why are you asking me this? But he does that so that we will admit and we will own up to what's really going on in our lives. Oftentimes it's not so the Lord knows. It's so that you and I will admit what is really wrong in our lives. And we have to be reminded that there is a deficiency in our lives. You see, the disciples, they were honest about it. You and I need to be honest about where we are and who we are. We need to be honest about the fact that we have not obtained, that we're, we've not arrived, that we're not in heaven yet. We need to be honest with the fact that we are still clothed in a in a fleshly body and we've still got faults and we've still got failures. And when we own up to that fact, that opens up the door for us allowing the Lord to help us to be better today than we was yesterday. There is a reminder in this text of their deficiency. They have to admit their problem. They have to say, no, we do not have any meat. There is a confrontation and then there is a confession. But then there is a command. Thank God the Lord doesn't point out wrong in your life and leave you there. I'm glad when I got saved that the Lord did not just bring me into conviction and let me feel the weight of the condemnation of my sin. Let me feel the weight of what sin felt like. Let me know that I was going to hell without pointing me to the Savior. But thank God in conviction there's always compassion. And thank God the Lord does that for those that are saved as well. When He starts pointing out something that's wrong in your life, there's always an invitation to come. There's an invitation to get it right. There's an invitation that it doesn't have to be this way. There's a Savior standing with outstretched arms. It's an amazing thing to me that in Romans chapter number 12, chapter number 13, it's talking about the Jew being blind in the sin part. Or Romans chapter 10, I'm sorry, in chapter number 11, it's talking about the Jew being blind in the sin part. Yet the Lord says, I stand all day long with my arms outstretched to a gang slaying people. And He's doing that for you and He's doing that for me too. He loves you and, and sometimes He will point out our problems. But thank God He's doing it for the purpose that He might help us and that He might fix what's wrong in our life. He begins to tell them then in verse number 6, He said, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They cast therefore, notice the obedience. Uh, 
ladies and gentlemen, that the command of the Lord. They had a choice in that verse. They could have either ignored what the Lord said or they had the choice to be obedient. And you too have the same. You have a choice today to ignore what the Lord speaks to your heart about or you can jump in lock, stock, and barrel and you can do what the Lord said. You can cast your net on the right side. You can say, Lord, I don't have any meat and I need some help in my life. It's me, O oh Lord, that stands in the need of prayer. And you can do what the Lord said and you can enjoy the same success that they enjoyed. We find, ladies and gentlemen, that in this text, because they was obedient to the Lord, God blessed in a mighty, mighty way in their life. Warren Wearsby said this. He said, sometimes the difference in success and failure in our lives is only the width of the boat. Sometimes that's all that it is. Just the width of the boat. They went from one side of the boat to the other side of the boat. And that was the difference. And it all hinged upon the Lord speaking to them and them being obedient to what God said. The difference in what you need in your life today, ladies and gentlemen, might be God speaking to your heart. One trip to this altar. Just one move of obedience. It might be you going to somebody, making things right. It might be one apology. It might be, ladies and gentlemen, that you you raise your hand and you just become tender to the Lord and say, I don't care who's looking. I don't care who's listening. I'm going to worship you, Lord. It might just be one simple act of obedience that God swings open the gates of glory in your life and you see another side. God takes you to another level and you're never the same again. Uh, the Welsh revival is very familiar to many. It happened in the early 1900s and God moved in a tremendous way and most people know that the Welsh revival started with a little young lady by the name of Flory Evans that stood up in her church and she said, I love Jesus with all of my heart. But the little known fact that not many people know is that that Welsh revival really started months before that actually happened. There was the preacher of that church. He, he got under conviction because his preaching was powerless. He got under conviction because his services were dead and nothing was happening and nothing was going on. And he began to pray night in and night out for God to move on his life and God to change his preaching and to change his life. And one night God met with him as he was praying and begging God to touch his life. And they said from that night forward his preaching was never the same. When he went to the pulpit the next Sunday, things began to change. He began to preach with a new fire, with a new fervency. And through that, God began to move in that church. And that's what sparked little Flory Evans to stand up and say, I love Jesus with all of my heart. It started in the midnight hours when nobody else was looking. It started by somebody saying, I'm tired of throwing my net and not catching anything. I'm tired of being dry and I'm tired of being dead. Lord, I want what you've got and I want to be what you want me to be. And so, Lord, if you'll speak, I'll be willing to cast my net onto the other side of the boat. But it all begins with us realizing that we have not obtained, we're not there. We have a deficiency in our lives. John 15 and 5, Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he abideth in me, and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You can do nothing. I underlined that verse in my Bible many years ago because I want to be reminded every time I turn to John 15 that it's not Austin Frady and it'll never be Austin Frady. It's not the name of the preacher that you see. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all the Lord. As Jonah said in the belly of the well, salvation is of the Lord. He realized in that place that he couldn't get out of there on his own and you and I cannot as well. It's the Lord and it'll take the Lord. But I'm glad that he's able to do what we have need of. We must never forget our need for Jesus. Then number two, we find in this account that the Lord is strengthening Simon Peter. He's taking him to the next level by refreshing them in a dinner. Verse number 12, the Bible said, Jesus saith unto
unto them, come and dine. By what words in your Bible? By what preaching just in those words? Come and dine. And the Bible says none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Then, then, come, then Jesus cometh and taketh bread and giveth them fish likewise. They sat down to a meal with the Lord Jesus Christ on the banks of the Sea of Galilee. My, my, what a, what a dinner that must have been. But this was a time of refreshment for them. They are living in a day of uncertainty. Remember just a few verses before, a few chapters before in your Bible, Jesus has been crucified. He's been taken to the cross. He's been beaten and suffered beyond what you and I can even verbalize and tell you in the, in the language of men. He has then been put in the tomb and He's rose on the third day. He's appeared to Him in the upper room. And I'm telling you, their world is turned upside down. You and I shout on this, but think about it. In their eyes, their world is turned upside down. They're so confused. They don't even know what to do. They don't know where to go. They're, they're just in a mess of a mess. But Jesus says, come and dine. I've got a table spread for you. Aren't you glad that in the chaos of this world that the Lord is spreading a table for us under an old gospel tent right here on the hill, Weaverville, North Carolina? I'm glad there's a table that's been spread in the chaos and in the confusion of this day. And just as it was with Jesus going to the cross, raising on the third day all that took place in John 18, 19, 20, I'm glad that God knows what's going on in this day. All that was the plan of God then, and God knows what He's doing now. It's up to you and I, ladies and gentlemen, to pull up to the table, to be refreshed so that our net does not break. There's comfort in His presence, and there's comfort in His provision. I'm telling you, just to be around the presence of the Lord for just a few seconds is worth more than money could ever buy. I'm telling you, I'd empty my bank account. I'd borrow money on everything I've got if I knew that's what it took to be in the presence of the Lord because it's worth it every single time. But thank God we don't have to pay for it. He gives it freely by His amazing grace. God comes by, finds people just like you and finds people just like me and says, I'm going to bless them today and I'm going to let them know that I'm still real. I hadn't went anywhere. Let them know that I'm God and let them know that I'm in control. He did that last night. There's a wind blowing in here last night and it wasn't the same wind that you feel out of other places. I'm telling you, it's a wind from another world. I say thank God for the presence of God that He lets us be a part of that to refresh us and to help us and to strengthen us. We couldn't make it in this wicked world trying to live for Jesus if the Lord didn't blow by every now and then and remind us that He's still on the throne and He's still in control. And so I say thank God for the refreshment that comes from the presence of the Lord. When you come to church, that's what we ought to pray for. We ought to seek after is for the, for the presence of the Lord to meet with us in every service, every time that we gather because that, ladies and gentlemen, does more in five seconds than I can do in an entire lifetime. It'll do more when God shows up and the presence of God comes by than you and I can do in our labor and in the arm of our flesh. Thank God that Jesus refreshed His disciples with His presence and with His provision. Jesus didn't need a net to catch them fish either, thank God, but He knew how to get what they needed. They don't even know where it come from or how He got it. I don't know how Jesus did it. He's the Creator. He could have told them fish, come on up here. They could have jumped up into His hand out of the Sea of Galilee. I don't know how He did it, but I know, ladies and gentlemen, He's God. He can do as He wants to do. But then we find in our text that as, as the Lord is building this thought of, of strengthening Simon Peter, it's been primarily uh, when, they are, when the question is asked in verse number 5 of, of children, have you any meat? And then in verse number 12, the invitation to come and dine. These are to all of those disciples that are present. But then there's
there's a transition in our text that becomes individual. There is some things to the group, some things to the congregation, some things to the whole crew that is there. But then there's a transition to the individual. And there's some things that God will speak to us about as a whole. God will speak to us about as a congregation. But then there's a time that there'll be a transition that you've got to determine an individual choice. There's got to be some, some individuality that you make the decision that I'm going to go with Jesus whether anybody else does or not. It sure helps to be in a good church. It helps to be around good people. And I encourage you to find that and do that. And you're in a good church, praise the Lord. But there comes a time and a place that you've got to make that choice as an individual that I'm going to go with Jesus no matter what. Simon Peter, ladies and gentlemen, here he is once again. He's mentioned. The Bible says, verse number 15, So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? This is what I call the requisition of Peter's devotion. The word requisition, it is a military term. It's an authoritative request or a demand. The Lord puts Simon Peter on the spot once again. And he says, Simon Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Now as I studied this text, I run into a dilemma. What did Jesus mean when he said, Simon, thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? I'm not exactly sure. It could have been the fishes. It could have been the other disciples. It could have been his ship. It could have been the area that he lived in. It probably was the fishes that he was talking about. But nevertheless, in order for the Lord to have said that, because he does not vocalize and, and in vocabulary describe what he's meaning, he would have probably done like you and I would do if we were talking in that manner. And he would have used his hand and say, Simon, thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he would have pointed to what he was talking about. And don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, just a few days before, Jesus has been to the cross. And there on the cross, there was a Roman soldier that took nails and put them in his hands and put them nails in his feet. And Zechariah said that, that when looking looking forward into the millennium, looking forward uh, into the future, that there's going to be a question that's going to be asked of the Messiah, of the Lord. Where did you get these wounds? And he says, I got them in the house of my friends. And so it seems like them wounds are going to be so fresh and evident. And when the Lord began to say, Simon, thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He began to point that hand at what he was talking about. Peter began to see something. There began to be something sparked in his mind. and He began to go back to Calvary. He began to remember that, wait just a minute, this is the same man that just died on an old rugged cross and, and he died there for me. And, and no doubt by this time, Peter's connecting some of the dots and he understands that Jesus died and I've seen him die. And I know that that Roman soldier put the spear in his side and they come by to break his legs, but he was already dead so they didn't break his legs so the Scripture might be fulfilled that not a bone was a joint or a bone broken in his body but ladies and gentlemen when he saw that hole in his hand where the nail had been he's reminded of Jesus' love for him and before Jesus ever asked him Simon thou son of Jonas lovest thou me he's reminded of the love of the Savior for him you and I must never forget that there's none of these there's no worldly possessions there's nothing that this world can ever offer that will ever, ladies and gentlemen, take the place of what Jesus did for us. 
There's nothing that will ever be greater than what He did for you and what He did for me on Calvary. He's the Prince of Heaven. He didn't have to leave glory. He didn't have to come to this sin-filled world. He didn't have to go to the cross. And even while He was on the cross, He could have called for the legions of angels to come, but He didn't. He went there for you and He went there for me. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God was commended toward us there on the cross. When Jesus said those famous words from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. They tell us that was said in the continuing, meaning that He was looking down through the eons of time to come. He saw the Keith Watkins of this world. He saw the Austin Fradys of this world. And on the cross in suffering and pain and in agony. And notice this, He's hanging on the cross with nails in His hands and nails in His feet. And for Him to have even said those words, He would have had to pull Himself up on the cross and every nerve in his body would have been standing on end in pain just for him to say those words Father forgive them for they know not what they do but he was saying that for you and he was saying that for you and he was saying that for you and he was saying that for me and so in light of what he's done for me in light of what Calvary entailed for my Savior so that my sins could be forgiven the question then Simon thou son of Jonas lovest thou me when you realize how much Jesus loves you, it's hard to not love Him. You ever been around somebody that you didn't want to love, but they loved you to death? <laughs> I remember when I was a teenager, I was one of them hateful little teenager boys that didn't want Mama to be around. I wanted Mama to drop me off at the bottom of the hill at the high school and let me walk up. I didn't want nobody to see Mama dropping me off. Anybody else like that? I hope y'all ain't, but praise the Lord, that's the way I was. I'm glad God saves old sinners, aren't you? But my mama, even though I didn't want her to love me or love on me, I didn't want her to be around me. When I was a teenager, my mama, she'd still get me as an old, gruffy, nasty-looking little teenager boy. She'd still pull me up under her arm. She'd still plant one on my cheek. It didn't matter. She'd still love on me. She'd still tell me that she loved me. And you know what? It was awful hard when she was loving on me to not love her back. Amen? That's the way it is with the Lord. It's awful hard when we realize what He's done for us to not love Him back and not, not, not give everything to Him. I'm telling you, when I got saved by the grace of God and realized that my sins were gone, not because of what I did or what I'd ever do, but because Jesus paid for them, it's awful hard for me not to just get in lock, stock, and barrel. Amen. We find that Simon Peter has asked this question. Simon, thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. This is a call of submission. A call to heed. A call to feed the lambs. A call to take care of them. It's a call for him to submit his life fully and completely. If you're here today, I want to say with all respect that if you're saved but not really submitted to the Lord, that's a miserable place to be. I mean, it's good to be saved. 
It's good that you're on your way to heaven. And I praise the Lord for that. And I'm glad you're not going to hell. But if you're saved and you're not submitted, there's still a part of you that knows that you need to do more. There's still a part of you that wants to do more. And there's a struggle every time you get around where the power of God is. And that struggle is for you to submit, for you to go ahead, lock, stock, and barrel, and say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these. I love you more than the cars. I love you more than the money. I love you more than my friends. I love you more than popularity. I love you more than prosperity. I love you more than position. I love you, Lord, and I'm willing to do what you want me to do. Then Jesus asked him again, verse number 16, He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. This is a call for service. There's a call for submission. Then there's a call for service. Can I say before there's ever really service, there's got to be submission. God can't use somebody that's not submitted to Him for His service. And so there's got to be submission, a, a, a desire, a willingness to roll up the white flag and say, Lord, everything that I am and everything that I ever will be is Yours. And that's hard to do. I read a story some time ago about F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer, he writes some of the greatest character books on characters in your Bible you'll ever read. Great man of God in his day. Great writer, great author. F.B. Meyer, he wrote one time that his, his preaching was powerless and he felt so lifeless and, and he felt like he, he was just so far from the Lord and he was praying about this condition. And God began to speak to his heart and said, F.B. Meyer said, give me the keys to your life. Said he pulled out the keys of his life, but he took one little key off the key ring, spiritually speaking. One little hidden place in his life and he put it back in his coat pocket and he handed the majority of the keys to the Lord but he kept that one little key in his pocket. Said the Lord, said F.B., that's not all the keys. I want all the keys of your life. And said he could, it felt like as though the Lord turned his back and began to walk his way out of his life. He said he knew that the presence of the Lord was walking out of his life said he began to pull that key out and say, here it is, Lord, here it is, Lord, here it is. I want you more than I want this key. I want you more than I want that little area that I wasn't willing to give up for you. Maybe on this hillside this morning, there's some people that you've given the Lord most. But he's saying there's one more key. There's one more little part. There's one more little piece so you can be submitted to really be used in service. Then we find Jesus ask one more time, Simon, thou son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said it the third time, lovest thou me? And he said, yea, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. It's a call to sacrifice. There's submission, there's service, and then there's the willingness to sacrifice, to continue and to press on for the glory of God. See, at the end of the day, and this is my heart, to keep our nets from breaking, there's several things that plays in there. But it all really comes to this one conclusion. Keith, do you love Jesus? Brother youth pastor, do you love Jesus? Brothers and sisters throughout this tent, do you do what you do because you love Jesus or do you do it for somebody else? Do you do what you do because you remember how much He loves you and there's an overwhelming love inside of you that you are submitted to Him and you want to serve Him and you're willing to sacrifice for Him? 
because at the end of the day, you may be able to get by a long time on doing it for somebody else. But there'll come a time in your life that your net will break if you're not doing it for Jesus. There'll come a day in your life that there'll be missed blessings if it's not because you love Jesus. I'm glad that I get to serve the Lord with my family. There's nothing greater, Brother Keith, on a Sunday morning than looking back over the congregation. I see my wife and children. I see my mom and my dad and my mother-in-law and, and my stepfather-in-law. I, I'm thankful that I get to serve the Lord. and I get to look back over my congregation, brother, and see my family sitting in the house of God. But at the end of the day, there's moments and there's times that just because they're there with me is not enough. There's going to be times for my children that just because daddy's a preacher, mama's a preacher's wife, that's not going to be enough. They're going to have to do what they do because they love Jesus. I don't know what's coming in the years and in the months to come. I imagine if time tarries any length of time that things might could get difficult for the church once again. We may have to go through some persecution to some degree. I'm glad we're not going through tribulation, but we might go through some persecution. If that were to come, how will we ever stand? We'll do it because of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Simon Peter stood because there was a demand placed upon his devotion. He had to admit it, say it out loud. There was a choice that was made that day. All of a sudden, Simon Peter is a different man in Acts chapter number 2 than he is in Caesarea Philippi, than he is in the Garden of Gethsemane than he is when he's denying the Lord at Calvary because he determined that he loves Jesus with everything in him. Can I ask you this morning for just a moment, stand to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Sister will come to the piano, Brother Keith's coming. Could I ask you for just a moment? Can you relate to Simon Peter? Relate to his life? Relate to the net that keeps on breaking. Maybe there's something in your life, a sin that you've tried to overcome. Just keep on reverting right back, right back. Maybe there's an area God's been pushing you toward. You've been trying to overcome that hardship and that difficulty. Have a hard time getting over it. Maybe somebody's done you wrong. There's some bitterness. Hatred toward that person to some degree. Jealousy. That's an area that your net's been breaking. Be a good morning to come. Say, Lord, I love you. Whatever it is that I need to do, whatever it is you want me to be, God, that's what I want to be. How much do you love him? Let me ask you this and I'll get out of the way. When was the last time you told him that you loved him? Some of you probably made that choice a long time ago. But every now and then we need to just come back to an altar, find ourselves a place somewhere, tell the Lord afresh and anew that, God, what I told you them years ago that I loved you, it ain't changed. I still love you. I'm still submitted. I'm still surrendered. 
And I still want to serve you, whatever it costs. You need to pray. You come.